0: Good morning. It's good to see and be with you guys. Um, We're going to continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and open it to Matthew chapter 7. We're looking at verses 12 through 14 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high. And then one of the ushers will walk down your aisle and give you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out um, so that you can read it and grow in understanding and knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. Now, before we jump into the text, I want to be very mindful of of the season and the time that we're in, and that um, hopefully most of us who are, uh, all of us who are eligible to vote will go to the polls on Tuesday, and I'm not going to get up here and tell you who to vote for, um, nor should I, but I do want to just pray for us as a church, ultimately pray for us as a people, pray for us as the people of America, as we decide to choose whoever we want to lead our country, um, and I get that there's multiple in this room, have different opinions and so forth, and you're totally welcome to have those. Uh, just want to just make, um, not necessarily an obvious statement, but not to be cliche, but, like, Jesus is still Lord of all creation. He's sovereign over all of history. There's nothing that shocks him or surprises him. There's nothing He's like, I can't believe I did that, right? He's going to take care of it, right? He's going to take care of it, and honestly, those of us in this room that are followers of Jesus, we're called to live into that life, and so with that, as citizens of heaven, which first supersedes any other citizenship or identity we have, that bleeds into who we are as citizens of America, as men, as women, uh, whatever ethnic um, um, uh, race you are, and so forth. So just let that be the guiding principle, ultimately, of our whole lives, and so let me pray will not you guys pray with us, um, with me, and just pray for our country. Father, we thank you so much for your son, and we thank you for his work. We thank you that in your plan, um, you saw the world, and a part of the world, Lord. And honestly, in a brief, brief time of history, are us as Americans. And Jesus, we um, have seen you to be faithful and true throughout the scriptures of your people around the world, and we ask that we do such in this moment and this season. We pray, Lord, uh, that whoever it is that is put in position to, to lead this country, Father, that we would have a, a level of respect ultimately of you and of this person and as a country, Lord. We ask for your blessing. We ask for ultimately your name to be known and that we, those of us in this room that are followers of Christ, Lord, would be a light and a witness in how to live, Lord, as a uh, counter-community. God, I pray that what this election would do and all election and all things would teach us that, um, Lord, we don't have to act within the powers of this world. But Lord, completely and supremely in the power of Christ Jesus, we pray that you would teach us that we would grow in that as a collective community in Christ's name. Amen. All right, sermon of the mount. We're going to jump into it, uh, and hopefully, you guys have been following along. If not, we are we are at the towards the very end where Jesus has essentially taught all that he's going to teach, and then and then now he's saying, "This is the so what." Of it, um, and so uh, we're gonna we're gonna be able to look at what are these so what's over the next few weeks of what does it look like uh, for us to live um, into the kingdom in which God has given us. So I think I shared this story before, but when I was very very young, um, my my parents, I think my family did a good job at teaching. Um, I have an older brother and I got an older sister. I'm the youngest, and uh, teaching us about race and about racism and tension and so forth. We read books. Uh, we were very very um, we had a very very high sense of black consciousness, right? And so, with that, we knew all the derogatory terms and so forth. And so, the N word was like a no go, right? And so, we were living in LA in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a black, I shouldn't say predominantly black neighborhood. Like, there were just only black people in our neighborhood. There were only black people at our church. And our school had only black people. And I remember there was a teacher that I had, Miss Yamaguchi, she was Korean, uh, but no white people. And um, when we moved to the suburb that I grew up in, Laverne, California, a beautiful place, the streets are paved with gold. It's amazing. We, we start going to the school, and um, there was a particular kid at this school this particular day. Let's say his name was Steven, because that, that, that was his name. And, <laughs> and, and Steven and I were playing basketball, and we got into this argument, and then he drops this N-word on me, right? And uh, if you don't know what that is, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> um, and... And I'm heated, right? Like, I just, everything in me as a seven, eight-year-old is like, I have to kill him, right? And so I proceeded to lay hands on him in a very unbiblical way and, and, uh, and so forth. And I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting I, I got after him. And so we, we're in the principal office, and the principal is like, I got to call both your parents. And I remember that day because my dad was home from work that day, and he was around. And I'm thinking, this is cool. Call my dad. I'm good because my dad's going to be like, good job, Right? If you call my mom, my mom is a little different. She's not going to be, like, good job. And so um, they, called and they called my mom, and my mom was leaving work. Now, you don't understand. If my mom never left work, like, the fact that, like, here's how I was supposed to go. I was supposed to go to school, and I was supposed to do this daycare thing, and then I was supposed to get on the bus, and I was supposed to be home, and I was supposed to play, and when the streets light got on, my bud had been in the house, right? That's how it worked. Not like you get in trouble, and I have to leave work to come pick you up from school. Like that wasn't a part of anybody's plans. My mom worked 45 minutes away. She was still in the inner city and when Mrs. Harper, who was our principal said, "I'm calling your mom, she's on the way." My stomach just sank and I prayed, "Lord Jesus, come soon." <laughs> Within the hour. <laughs> Because my mom and my dad's response to this was like, night and day, it was, like, my, it was like Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, right? It was like, my dad was like, by any means necessary, right? Malcolm X. And my mom was like, love your neighbor, and, and yet, by any means necessary when it came to me. And so she shows up, and it's me, my mom, and, and the principal, we're in this office, and um, the kid's gone, the, you know, Stephen's gone, and Mrs. Harper proceeds to tell my mom, she goes, you know, Here's what the story was. Here's what Ricardo said. And here's what Stevie said. She called him Stevie. And I was like, what? He's, st- no, his name is Steven. You know what I mean? Like, and, and she, I know his parents, and he would never say anything like this. And I'm, I'm, he- I'm, like, I'm heated. Like, I'm very heated. That means upset. And so <laughs> I'm thinking, all right, my mom's at least going to be on my side. This is going to be good. We go home. And she's furious at me. She's hey, like, Himalayan, you got in a fight. I'm like, Mom, but he said this, I can't believe you got in a fight. And my dad's like, you better, that was good, good job. Let's go out to eat. <laughs> and, you know, my mom is like, no. And we sat down on the bed, and I, I'll never forget this, because she was saying, you know what, even if he is your enemy, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. And I was like, Mom, you don't understand. And you can never tell someone who's older and wiser than you that they don't understand. Because you know what, they're going to tell you a story. So my mom begins telling me what it was like growing up in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, as an African-American woman and so forth. And, and you know, she's, she, you know, now I'm like, I got nothing now, right? <laughs> what am I going to say, <laughs> right? And, and, and she just, she was trying to tell me, this is what you're going to do. I got suspended. She goes, when you go back to school next week, uh, you, you got to tell him you're sorry and you apologize. And that was hard for me. Like, I apologize? He's not going to say, and he never said that to me, right? I couldn't stand this kid the rest of my life. And it just so happened with God, the next year he was in my class, fifth grade he was in my class, sixth grade he was in three out of the six classes. And I just kept looking at him like, ooh, right? (laughs) And my mom was trying to get me to say, I'm sorry, uh, forgive you. I don't think I ever did, to be honest with you, but I knew what she was trying to push me to now. And that was that sense of going, um, what God calls us to is a suffering type of love. That's the reality of where he calls us as followers of Christ. Like, if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Christ, you need to know this about us and what our God teaches us. We are called to love at a cost and suffer at a cost, to display love, and this is what we happen to find in our Savior. This is the type of life that he embodied, the life of a kingdom and the life of ultimately which God has us in this kingdom. And so here's here, here the, taking that, that understanding of suffering love, I believe Jesus has been teaching and instructing us throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And, and before I jump into the text today, as, as I read it, you know, it's, a, it's very familiar. Like you don't even have to have been someone who, who went to church or, or knows Jesus to understand, or at least not to understand, but to have heard these verses, do unto others as you want them to do unto you. The gate is wide or the gate is narrow. These are like very common things, but we don't naturally hear them like the original audience. Because when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, repent, and believe, they heard something massively different than we hear. Because we don't know what it's like to be in a kingdom. Like we don't have kings and queens. Like we elect who we we want to be in office. We don't have that understanding. And also, we don't really, 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 if we're honest, understand the story of which God says that we're a part of. Meaning what we do is we take this part of the Bible, which is called the New Testament, we read this, and this whole part, like the majority of the part, we're like, eh, if you got time, right? I mean, we literally hand out Bibles to people and say, here, it's only the New Testament. Kind of like he was long-winded in the first part, he didn't know what he was talking about, changed his mind, and now he's this sort of God in the New Testament. Instead of realizing this is one long story that reveals who God is and what it's like for us to live in his covenantal, faithful kingdom. And then in essence, to, to continue the story of which God started with Israel. So when we hear the things like love your neighbor and so forth, we don't get why that was a problem for Jesus' original audience. It, it, it would be extreme, not even in my case with Stephen. It would be like someone who lived in a, a, a time in our country where, where it was ext- even more racist than you can a- imagine. And someone telling an African-American, love this white supremacist, love him, walk him into your family. When he slaps you, go ahead and give him the other cheek because that's what Jesus is telling you to do. You'd be like, no way. Slap him back. Right? Right? Like, it was hard for them. And so what I want to be able to do for the bulk of this is give us the framework to try as best as I can to put and create the tension that these original Jewish audience would have heard. To put ourselves in our, in our, our Jewish clothes, and our Jewish shoes, not just our, our American understanding of Scripture, because we're going to miss why this was so relevant, why this was so powerful, why, why this was so countercultural. So, so the story that we, that we don't get over here, this side of the Bible, is that God creates this world, and he has a people. Now, the people in themselves, when they begin to understand this God, they find themselves in slavery. They find themselves in slavery under a dictator whose name is Pharaoh. And God raises up a man by the name of Moses, and, and he uses Moses to free his people that had been enslaved for hundreds of years. That's all they knew. And he frees them. And once he frees them, they begin to hear about what we read in Genesis, that the God who created this world is their God. And that how they became a people is that God created, or God began to work through in his own grace, a man named Abraham. And that this Abraham had sons, and he had many sons, right? And and, 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 yeah, you know the song, I'm one of them, so are you. You get it, right? And they had a family, and this is how this family came to Egypt, and this is what God is doing. And then God began to give them his law. And this law was not, this is how you keep up with me. It was like, this is what I am like, and this is how you live into my loving covenantal care. But the people of God disobeyed him. They disobeyed him. And they went through a series of moments where they were essentially just getting for better, lack of better words, getting punked by just different nations, right? Like, Israel was just an oppressed people. It was first, it was Egypt. And then they found themselves in the Promised Land. They'd finally gotten there, and they began to listen to the narratives of the other stories around them. And they wanted what they wanted. God, we want a king. And God, let them have a king. And they had King David. And he was all right. He, was, he wasn't amazing. He wasn't God. But they were looking for a king. And then, and then they had other kings. And then other kings. And eventually, all the kings became very, very bad. And then in that time, God would speak to them through prophets and say, hey, you guys are kind of going this way. You need to kind of recorrect it, live in my loving kindness. That's why you have the law. If not, there's going to be consequences, and the consequences will be I will allow another a- nation to rise up and dump you in the back of the head. And that's exactly what happened. And they find themselves in captivity or exile. And it was during that moment God began to speak again through the prophets. But this time, it wasn't what he was going to do to them. In terms of judgment, during this moment, he, the prophets begin to speak about this new day. And the very end, when God would come and he would restore all of creation, and a lion would actually lay with the lamb, and people would look at um, people that were old and go, oh, they're just kind of like young, and babies wouldn't die, and they would have this beautiful picture where things were going to be the way that they would be, they should be, and that God and his people would be one, that the prophets began to speak of this, that there would be this coming kingdom, there would be this coming Messiah, and they begin to hear about that. And during that, that began to shape their worship. It began to shape the way that they worship God and it began to cure their idolatry and believing the lies of the narratives around them. And then after the captivity, they came back into the promised land. They rebuilt the temple to establish life around God. However, the glory of God was not in their midst anymore. And for 400 years, there was silence, meaning God did not bring another prophet to speak to them. So, so when God is not speaking um, in this day and time now, what are they supposed to do? Well, they went back to all that God had already said. And they began to reread books like Deuteronomy. They began to reread their history, the story once they were part of, about a sovereign God who himself was acting within history to establish a people for himself and that would bring them and usher them into a kingdom around his love. And then during that time, they began to question what type of way this king would be and what type of way this kingdom would be. And during, so, so during this period of time, there were groups of people that began to raise up. One of the groups of people that rose up were the Pharisees. We hear about them. The Pharisees rose up in this time, and the Pharisees were people who said, you know what? We're going to kind of interact with the dominant culture now, which at that time was the Roman Greco world, but we're going to be uniquely Jewish. They were very ethnocentric. And the way that they were going to make sure that things were ethnocentric is that they were going to obey the Torah. That means the law right? The law of God. And they, they um, emphasized, overly emphasized things that were uniquely Jewish to them. Things like certain festivals and foods and circumcision to say, this is what it means to follow God. It means to be Jewish and uniquely Jewish and separate ourselves in that way. But they also believed that the kingdom was going to come. And when the kingdom was going to come, God was going to act in power against all these people who had oppressed them. All these people who had bullied them. And then there was another group that raised up at that time, and they were the Essenes. And the Essenes, similar to the Pharisees, they were a group of Jewish people who said, you know what, we are going to follow the Torah, but we're not going to really engage. We're just going to sit and by the by and by and pray until God comes and does what he's going to do. But they believed the kingdom would come, and He would act. this king would come and act in force to get rid of their enemies. And there were other groups, um, the Sadducees and the priests, and they were essentially sellouts. <laughs> They, they essentially said, we're not going to believe in the hard things of the Bible. We're not going to believe in, like, absolute truths and all the things that seem to be conservative. We're going to kind of just go with the flow, label ourselves as Jewish people who love God, but we're essentially a part of the dominant culture. And then there were, there were groups of people like the Zealots who were part of all those different groups, whether they were Essenes or Sadducees or Pharisees, and these were wild people. Like, these are the people that wanted to fight whenever they got a chance, right? We know people like that. Like, you know, you, know, you always have one friend who always wants to fight, like did he just cut me off? Me drive him down, man. I can't believe he disrespected me like that. It's like no, man. He didn't cut you. It was green for him, right? And so, <laughs> that like the zealots were like that. They were looking for a fight all the time. And you have these people who had different views um, of how the king was going to come, but they had two things in common: the kingdom and the Messiah was going to come. They agreed on that, and. He would come with power and get rid of the bullies, right? Because it was Egypt, and if it wasn't Egypt, it was the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the ites you read about. And then, and then it was the Assyrians, and if it wasn't the Assyrians, it was the Babylonians. If it wasn't the Babylonians, it was the Persians. If it wasn't the Persians, it was the Greeks, if it wasn't the Greeks, now it's the Romans. Like, they've always just been bullied, right? And I don't know if you guys have ever been bullied before. Anyone ever been bullied? Like, like, like this guy, is a, I'm going to do something to this guy. Or this girl, right? No exceptions, Right? So when I was in sixth grade, a lot of stories about me getting in fights. Um, I was in sixth grade. I was playing basketball in my apartment complex. And I was playing against this kid named Chris, and he was a ninth grader. He was a bigger kid. And somehow we got into it. I was talking trash. He was talking trash. I was kept talking trash. And he punched me. And he punched me in the eye. And I kind of had that blurred eye thing, like, I'm going to get back here. And I couldn't beat this dude up. He was way stronger than me. And then he punched me in my mouth. And there's nothing worse than getting punched in the eye and the mouth, right? right? And so I walked in the house, the apartment, and my sister was like, Uh, What's wrong? And I'm like, Chris punched me. Now, here's the thing. I've shared this before. I got a big sister. And my sister don't play around, right? And and especially back then, even now, too. Like, she was probably five years, six years older than me. And she was well-known, had a lot of friends, Uh, she knew some people who knew some people who shot some people. So she was, she was, she was, she was, you know, Keisha. So my sister goes, oh, we're about to go to his apartment right now. And I'm, and I'm jonesing now. Yes. Right. Because when you know you got somebody on your side, you're like, I can't wait. Right. Like, that's what the Israelites were like. They're like, when the Messiah comes, oh, just wait, right? You get real bold when you know you got backup, like, say something else, right? Because there's somebody behind you, right? And so me and my sister start walking there. Now, mind you, as I'm walking from our apartment downstairs over to Chris's apartment, um, in my mind, I'm kind of imagining, what is Keisha going to do, right? Is she going to give him the, you know, is she going to just scare him? Is she going to threaten him? Whatever it is, it's going to be good, and it's going to be on my behalf. Like, I'm having these ideas of what's going to happen. That's what the people of God were doing as they thought about the kingdom. They were all thinking, oh, it's going to be like this, and they developed the theology around that. No, 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 it's going to be like this, and then, and then this is going to happen, and they developed around there. And they, all of them thought, excuse me, uh, all of them thought that it was going to be some sort of violence, like, you even pick that up when you read the Gospels. Like, there's this one scene in Luke where Jesus is like, all right, guys, we're on our way to Jerusalem. And then one of the disciples is like, should I get a sword? He goes, no. We're just going, why do you need a sword? No, right? Because that was their thought. Like, it's time to fight. It's time to fight. So when Jesus now, in that context, shows up on the scene as the Messiah, another thing you've got to understand, there were 10, at least 10 or 11 Messiahs who had come before Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah. And there were at least 10 to 12 who came after Jesus who claimed to be Messiah. So it wasn't like he showed up, was like, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, oh, you're the only guy. They're like, all right, we've heard this before. What is this one going to say? We've heard someone say they're Messiah. And then Jesus shows up in the most unlikely way. He comes into the world through a virgin girl, all sorts of speculations around this virgin girl. Like Joseph is supposed to be the daddy, but he's not. But she's like, no, the spirit did this. Nobody's believing that, Right? Like, he comes in from a city that nobody really knows. People don't even think good things come from there. And he begins to show how his kingdom is completely upside down than everything these Hebrews would have ever thought. That when they were looking for force, right, they were looking for power. They were looking for actually something to bring their esteem. Jesus comes in the scene and says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, they heard that. The kingdom, we know what that is. You mean now God is deciding to act within human history to restore all of Israel and all of creation? And Jesus says, yes, in me. Like, I am now embodying in this person the kingdom. That is massively different. So to those who were were listening, we're saying, okay, the kingdom is here. Now those of us who were poor, now we're going to be rich. And what does Jesus say? No, actually it's the poor in spirit who get in. It's upside down. To those who said, we're going to get our land back and it's going to be ours and we're going to inherit this land and we're going to go fight and it's going to be the power, powerful and the strong. Jesus says, no, actually the meek are going to inherit the earth. Sorry. Right? To, to, to those who eventually said, um, well, how are we going to get ahead with those who've slapped us? Now we're going to fight them back. And Jesus goes, no, when they slap you, just kind of turn the other cheek so they can get both sides balances. <laughs> to those who it was very common that a roman soldier can stop any jewish person and say carry my bags a mile they were saying when our king comes back he's going to say he's going to do things that we're going to say no we will never carry your bags again cuz our king is here and he goes if they ask you to carry a mile tell them how about i go too cuz there's a new order that's in here and i'm following this man named jesus and his kingdom is completely other than anything else they heard this and they were upset like this, is, this bothered them. That's why the Pharisees did not like him. That's why the Essenes and the Sadducees did not like him. He didn't fit any of their paradigms. He didn't fit any of, the, of any of the teachings in which they taught. And yet to those who were being saved, those who were entering the kingdom, it said his words have authority. There's something unique about this. That to most of the Jews, they said this is weak. We're looking for power. But as Paul says, to so those who were being saved, it was actually the very power of God that was breaking in. It was completely, completely other than that what they had expected. Jesus starts his kingdom, and we've said this, he's picking all the wrong people. He's not picking the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Pharisees, those who were religious leaders, the teachers of the synagogues. He's actually taking smelly fishermen, and he goes, I'm going to start with the fishermen. Next, picking the draft, right, fishermen. Next, picking the draft, fishermen. And we said this before, if you're a fantasy football guy, you're going, wait, he's picking all kickers. This is this is not good, right? <laughs> He's never going to win, right? And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not going to win according to your rules. But Jesus didn't come to adapt to the rules. He didn't come to fit in. He came to completely take over. <laughs> and he says any, anyone who would enter in through him would have this new life and this new ethic, and that's what Jesus begins to call us to, and everybody's upset. Going back to my illustration with my sister, it would be like if we got to Chris's house, and I'm ready for her to, like, knock this dude out. Um, she knocks on the door, and this is what happened. She knocks on the door, and Chris's dad came to the door. She goes, did you need anything? She goes, yeah, your, your, your son hit my, your son Chris hit my, uh, my brother. I want to beat him up. She literally said that. And, he, and, then, and her da- the, da- the dad was like, oh, Chris. <laughs> that's old school stuff that just doesn't happen anymore. He did? All right, let me go get him. All right closed the door and just went back in and watched like Ma- Mari or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, So there, there, Chris came out, it would have been like my sister being like, did you hit him? Yes. Did you bruise his face? Yes. Weren't you much bigger than him? Didn't you bully him? Yes. And then my sister doing this, and then give him a hug, right? If I'm standing there, I'd be like, I want a new sister, right? <laughs> wait a minute, I thought you were, wait, what happened to you know some people who know some people who shot some people? Have them shoot him. Like, what happened right here? Like, what happened? That's what it would have been like for them. And Jesus is saying, no, be poor in spirit. When it comes to righteousness, it's about just not doing things, but it's a righteousness of heart. That true love looks like this, that you don't lust after other people. You don't hate other people. And instead of being captivated and seduced by the the acceptance and approval of the culture you're around, and it's very seductive, he says, realize this. You do need to be accepted. And you do need to be approved, and your Father in heaven does that for you. He sees you. Let that fuel your prayer life. Let that fuel and be the reason you fast. Let that fuel your giving. And know this, when it comes to the gospel of the kingdom, that God himself anticipates failure, and he's given you Christ and his bloodshed for forgiveness, that you may now go forgive others like it. That, that he, he, he ultimately begins to redefine what it's like for us to live and now what it's like for us to continue now in our day that particular mission. And so with those ears and that framework, now we hear these very, very, like, um, common words. is something a little bit different. Verse 12, he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. When Jesus says so, that's a connecting word. And he's not just connected into what he just said. He's connected to everything that he said. He's saying everything that I've said, all this, 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 how it looks like for us to walk in the kingdom. He goes, here's what I want you to do. The way in which you wish that you were loved, will you do that to the people around you? And he says, when you do that, you're summing up the law and the prophets. So, like, this part of your Bible, you got it. (laughs) Just love people. But don't just love them and read this as some principle, but Jesus didn't have this in here because, so that it'd be an inspiration for some coffee mug or t-shirt, right? This is a way of life. And so you think about it. Um, how would I wish to be loved? Imagine this, okay? How would I wish to be loved if I were in a particular room or a particular setting where I was the only person of my gender or of my ethnicity? How would I wish to be loved and noticed, cared for, and then loved like that? Something like if I were removed from my country because of horrible things in my country and I had to come to another country and another place where I didn't speak the language, I didn't know how to shop, I didn't know how to get my kids in school, I didn't know up from down, how would I wish that others would come alongside and love me? He says, go love like that. If I were new to the dorm, to the apartment, to the neighborhood, to the church— how would I want people to walk me? Would I want them to notice me? To say hello to me, to say, hey, just so you know this is what we do on Saturdays, to, to say, hey, this is what this is like. I noticed your news. Is there anything I can come alongside? How would I wish for people to love me? And Jesus says, do it that way. That if you were without certain resources, that you knew that you needed, that you were without certain opportunities, that you were without certain privileges and that you knew that others had an abundance, and if they'd be willing in such a way to take what they had and give it to you without any strains attached, would you love to be loved like that? Most of them would say, yeah. He goes, can you, can, you, can you do that? Can you love like that? And can you do it with those not just like you, but those who are not like you? Can you do it to those who have harmed you? Can you extend a hand of grace and forgiveness and love and acceptance in the way that God in Christ has done it for you? So do unto others as you would want them to do unto you, amen? Even when they punched you in the face, even when they've slapped you, even when for centuries your narrative has been a narrative where no one cares about you, that your particular skin color, your particular gender, all of these things have been disregarded, and now your hero, your king is in and saying, I'm actually not gonna fight them. I'm gonna die for them. And I'm asking you to do the same thing. Like that, that's what Jesus is calling us to, to live in his kingdom. A completely counterintuitive, countercultural way. And it's not just individually, but it's corporately. So, so if you're now, let's put back on our Jewish clothes and our Jewish shoes, whatever they are. Air Jesus's, right? <laughs> and, and we've just heard Jesus tell us to love some people that we don't like. And we, you guys, if I told you to close your eyes right now and think about somebody in your life, whether you know them or not, whether you want to vote for them or not, um, and that you don't like, and God's saying love that person a lot. Invite him over. Feed him good food. Don't poison them, right? <laughs> like, that's what he's saying. Now, they're, they're upset. Like, wait a minute. What is he doing? What is he doing? Now, imagine this. Imagine if you thought, not only did he, did he, did he, did he really slap you in the face that way, but imagine he's saying now, you actually thought you've been following God, but you've been going the wrong way, You guys ever had that terrible experience where you realize you've been driving for an unnecessarily long time the wrong way? Right? Don't you feel defeated? Like, I quit. Like, I'm living here now. Whatever. Tonopah. Whatever. (laughs) Right? (laughs) A few weeks ago, we changed our practice location, and the lady that gives us um, for our our kids' practice, she sent out a text out, like, here's what we're practicing. So I pressed the button, and my GPS opened up. Right? My smartphone. And and. And it took me to a location, so I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving, I'm driving. And I'm following directions. I'm following, you know, four more miles, You're right? rerouting, whatever, right? And so I get to the park. Nobody's there. I'm mean, like, nobody's even here. These kids ain't serious about this. We try to win, right? So I called the lady, and I said, hey, is pra- what time is practice at again? She goes, yeah, we're waiting on you and Noah. And I'm like, ah, I'm here. She goes, no, we're here. I'm like, no, I'm here, and I don't see you guys anywhere, right? Well, my GPS, because of some east-west, I mean, like, that matters, I guess, Um <laughs> I'm like deep in the Awatuki. I don't know if you guys know this, but Awatuki goes into the avenues. Like, like I thought Awatuki like ended, and like it keeps going like all the way to Blythe, almost, right? And so I'm way out in Awatuki in places I've never been before, and then I'm supposed to be way over in Gilbert, right? And I'm heated because I thought I followed all the right directions. I'm like, we quit, son. We're done. Football's horrible, right? (laughs) So you're upset. In their case, these particular groups of people, they thought they were following God. They thought they were doing all the right things. They thought they were so much further down the road. And what Jesus is going to say is, no, you're actually in the wrong place. And here's what he says here. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, here's what I want us not to do. We naturally hear gate, and we think of standing at some pearly gates and, like, getting into heaven. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Um, What he's saying is when he first says there's two ways, this was something that a Hebrew person would have known it's always been two ways. Um, in fact, I want, I want to read this so we understand this in context. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20, Moses gives the two ways that God gives him. He says, this, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord, your God, I command you, today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But, he says, if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship gods and serve them, meaning listen to the competing stories around you, I declare to you that t- today that you shall, not sh- you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. And he says, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and the length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. He goes, here it is. Either you love and and you obey and you follow and there's blessings and there's curse and there's life. Or you listen to what's easy and what's normal and where your heart takes you apart from faithfulness to the covenant of God. He goes, and then there's destruction and there's death. And just to paraphrase, you see this again in their wisdom literature. In Psalm chapter one, the the psalmist gives us this picture of a person who's righteous, who's who's like a man or woman who plants himself near a stream. So they get all the things that they need to grow, and in season, they produce fruit. He says, not so the wicked. He goes, the wicked are people who kind of like scoff at God's word, don't listen to God's word, and they're blown away. This is just two ways. This was not new to them. And Jesus says, and there's also two ways of living. This is ongoing. He's not saying a one-time decision you make. He's saying this is a one-time decision that leads to infinite amount of decisions to choose and follow Christ within his kingdom marked by selfless sacrificial suffering love. To them, he says, here's the wide way, and it's easy. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep going on with your culture. Their particular culture was one of a religious culture apart from grace. A religious culture that acted as if they were doing the right things and they were following all the instructions and so forth, but did not have a genuine relationship and a good news of the kingdom. He says, keep doing that way. It's wide, and many people will do it. If you just continue to do what you're doing, it's great. Okay, our day, it's us just doing what we do. Do me, whatever are the cultural idols of our day. Just naturally human to, to, to the humanistic things of our world, um, becoming people who are overly consumer-driven. Like, that's, that's, that's a part of it. Just, just live in that way. Um, try to live as most comfortable life as you can. Like, get enough money to retire with, and so like you're taken care of in your family, and maybe care about other people so you still look like a good person. But just do that. Maybe go to church here and there, but don't really invest into deep spiritual life of community, which is what God wants. No, just, just kind of do you, and you're okay. He goes, that way is wide, and it's easy, but its end goal is destruction. But then he says, but then there's the narrow gate, and it's hard. It's hard. It's not just you sign a card or pray or prayer. But you enter into the life of Christ, and then you participate in that life by participating in the body of believers. One of the hardest things about being a Christian is you have to do it with other people. And that means I get on you, and you get on me. And the phrase in the Christian worlds, it's messy, but it literally is messy. And I'd love to give you some gross diaper analogy, but I won't because it's gross, but it's like that, right? And, and yet you have to do it. Like, like no good parent looks at a child and goes, just leave them. Should have done it in the first place, right? No, right? You have to enter in. And Jesus is saying it's hard. It's hard to be poor in spirit, to thirst for righteousness and justice. It's hard to go, you slap me in this cheek. The natural thing for me that's easy is to punch you back. The hard thing is to give you the other cheek. It, it, it's, it's, it's very easy to say, these are things that I've worked hard for. Why would I have to share it and give it to other people? It's very hard to say, these are the blessings that God has given me that I have worked hard for, but I've also been given them in order that I may share and give to those who are in need. Like, it, it, it's really easy to just be comfortable and say, there are decisions and choices that I can make that will be easier for me and my family. And he goes, that's why and then it's hard and it's narrow is to say there's choices that I will make that I actually would be glorifying God and loving my neighbor, but it's going to cost me. It's going to cost me. And Jesus says, but this is the life. And he goes, and few enter it. And he's not talking about how many people get saved or not. He's saying this way of life is ongoing. It is perpetual, constant repentance and realigning your life into the center who is Christ and who we participate by grace and faith in his life with one another's filled by the Holy Spirit, and guided by the Scriptures. And he says it's, it's, it's hard and it's narrow. When it comes to our life, here's what God is a picture of what God is calling us as a community to do when, when he calls us to this life. Um, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of getting on an airplane, and you get there, you have your roller bag, you're like, I'm not going to check anything, and then they say, sorry, sir, <clears throat> There's not enough room for your, your baggage. Leave it here, which means you're not going to have your luggage for your whole trip. And so, so you, 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 you leave it there. And so this happened to me. I get to the very back of the airplane, not because they told me to go there. And so I, I sit down. I sit down. And then I realize there's luggage space everywhere, right? So I want to go back out to get my luggage at the front. And everybody's coming in. Like, you know, like, you're not supposed to go against the grain. Like, everybody's walking in, and you're that awkward guy people are looking at. They're sitting, sorry, excuse me. I'm sorry. Sorry. Ugh. Is this your kid? Sorry. (laughs) Right? There you go. Cute. And then you're just trying to get through and people are giving you that look like, what are you doing? They're mad, they're angry because this is not the way you're supposed to do it. You're supposed to be sit down, your seat back is supposed to be up, your seat tray is supposed to be there, you're supposed to be buckled. All of those things, you're supposed to know that in an event of an accident, put that thing on your face and then your kid, like you're supposed to know all these things, right? Like this is the way it's supposed to go. And honestly, we live in a world that is saying, this is the way it's supposed to go. And yet our Savior is saying, If you're gonna live in my kingdom, we're gonna go against the grain always. And not for the sake of just being different, but for the sake of following the one who at infinite cost gave himself to us. And our Savior happens to give us an example because he says, Here's the life that I'm calling you to in my kingdom. It is the way of the cross. That Jesus goes to the cross and he gives us a beautiful picture, an example, and forgiving us of how we're supposed to live. And he doesn't just give us a picture. He tells every single one of us, pick up your own cross. Pick up your cross and your family and your community and this city and ultimately begin with this cross and this selfless, sacrificial love. Wash the feet of the people around you. That on the cross, Jesus is not loving those like him. He's loving those who hate him, who are his enemies. He's saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is the picture of living into the kingdom. But it's, it's, it's not only a cross, and he's not only an example. Because three days later, we know that Jesus was raised from the dead. And there's resurrection. So he's our redeemer. And the life that was, that the power that raised him from the dead is now the power that he gives his people called the church. The continuation of that long story of how he's redeeming creation and how he's redeeming cultures. That he now puts that power in every single man, woman, and child that believes in his son. And he says, now go and reflect my glory in these ways as you live in community by my spirit, empowered by the grace of God, by the love of the Father. And when we do that, we begin to reflect God's glory to the people around us. We show that love in itself is not something that's easy, but it's extremely costly. And so we do that collectively. That forgiveness is not something that you just say, but it's a whole pattern of lifestyle. That repentance is not a one-time thing, but we're constantly recorrecting and reorienting our lives around Christ. That we find ourselves pushing against the culture around us because you know why? It is very easy and natural to, be, to drift away with the currents of culture than it is to swim upstream with the culture of Christ and the kingdom of God. And he's saying swimming upstream looks like picking up your cross, empowered by the Holy Spirit, loving your neighbor as yourself, being poor in spirit, seeking out the righteous and justice, praying to the Father, being seen by the Father, being known by the Father, being loved by the Father, and ultimately entering into and staying within and keeping up with and walking collectively in the gate, that is narrow and very hard. Jesus never calls us to the easy life. Jesus did not come and die to say it's easy. He never says that. He says, in this life, you have persecution, you have tribulation. Things won't go your way. But take hold, I've overcome the world. Amen? Let me just close you with this. Some of us, plenty of us, we're going to be upset Wednesday morning. We're not going to get our way. And for those of us who are parents or those of us who are around kids, when we see a kid who whines because well, they don't get what they want, we say, that's, that's pathetic. We tell our kids, you can cry when you're sad, when you're hungry, when you're hurt, and when you don't know why. But you can't cry and whine when you don't get what you want. Ultimately, our deepest desires have already been met in Christ. We have to be a countercultural pe- people, no matter what the political environment is, that we don't whine, We worship. We worship because that is at the very, very heart of our identity and following the king. It's an opportunity for us as a people to be uniquely Christian, to be uniquely followers of Jesus, come what may. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are continuing your story through us, that you have welcomed us and invited us into the life of Christ into your kingdom to live in and participate in a way that is far bigger far more holy, far more gracious than we could ever imagine. And, Father, that you've called us now to, to work out the implications of the good news of the kingdom in our life now and to do in the context of one another's Lord, I pray that you would draw us closer to you and in doing so, closer to one another. That we would go deep in relationship with you, deep in relationship with others, that we as a community would be a counter community that people would see, know, and trust and follow Christ because we look like you, because we resemble the very one in whom we say lives within us. May we be a, uh, an imperfect, but a reflection of Christ nonetheless, a reflection of your love as a father and empowered by the Holy Spirit that you have caused to live with us and to be with us and to testify of our inheritance and of our identity as your sons and daughters. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.